Mindfulness Mode 238. It's like the trolls in The Hobbit. You know, they kind of turn to stone and flake off. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, thanks again for coming by, for joining me here on Mindfulness Mode. It's great to have you with us, Mindful Tribe. Last time, I talked with a woman whose love is the stage. And I am not kidding. She actually sang live right here on the show. The interview was a lot of fun, and she shared her knowledge of training speakers to be the very best they can be. If you missed Cindy Ashton, I highly recommend going back and checking out episode 237. So mindfulnessmode.com slash 237. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thinking of launching your own podcast? If you are, you'll need a host. That's a place to upload your episodes. Podbean is awesome. That's my host here with Mindfulness Mode. Podbean is built specifically for podcasters. It's been around for 10 years and the pricing is super competitive. It's $9 a month. No matter how much content you upload, it's $9 a month and they have great stats as well. You can help support the Mindfulness Mode podcast and get a month for free with my affiliate link. Just go to podbean.com slash podbean. MM. Today, you're going to hear a highly successful corporate executive who decided he'd had enough and he did a U-turn. He switched his life around and now he's all about mindfulness and people. Wait till you hear Gareth Young. Sit back, relax, enjoy his wisdom on today's show, Mindful Tribe. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have Gareth Young with me today. This is going to be a great conversation. I can't wait. Hey, Gareth, are you in mindfulness mode today? Well, I'm doing my very best to be there with you. I promise you that, Bruce. How are you doing today? That's great. I'm doing great. I feel pretty mindful at the moment, too. So that's always a good feeling. So, Gareth, what does mindfulness mean to you anyway? Oh, my goodness. That's a big one. It's actually... um, Mindfulness, I think, can be looked at at several levels, and it's um, it's something that's often misunderstood, frequently misunderstood, actually. Uh, at its simple level, it's just simply being aware of what you're doing, what you are right now. Right. And you have been on quite a journey. I want to share with Mindful Tribe a little bit about you and who you are and what's up. Gareth Young is an experienced corporate businessman who decided to transform his life. And he did this by undertaking a journey which took him into the unknown. As a result of his explorations into life's meaning, he now feels more connected in his relationships and he feels his life has far more depth than ever before. He explains, I've learned a new way of being with people. And Gareth is anxious to share the profound lessons he's learned with the world through his podcast, which is called A New Business Mindset, and right here, right now, today, to share it as well. So you've learned a lot in this journey, it sounds like. What made you decide to veer off in another direction from the corporate world, Gareth? Uh, good fortune. <laughs> you stub, you stub your toe, and uh, it hurts. Um, and most of the time, when that happens, 
uh, we get distracted by the next shiny object. I was very fortunate that I stayed focused on and mindful of my stubbed toe. So it was, it was really good fortune. Um, but the stubbed toe, which is something I think all of us uh, have at different points along the way, uh, for me it was coming face to face with what I later came to realize was um, being stuck in a career where I thought I was happy, I thought I was fulfilled, I just didn't know any better, but I really was neither. So um, was there one particular thing that caused you to to realize that you were not happy? It was uh, – the thing that drew my attention to it was I had been traveling a lot with business. I've been out of town for about six or seven weeks um, on a big deal and I came back through town. I went through the living room early in the morning as I was going to the office to do all the PR and the closing stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, my two-year-old son ran across the room and grabbed my leg and said, Daddy, because he hadn't seen me for weeks. And the way I remember it, I shook him off like one does a dog because I was just, oh. I was busy. I was important. I didn't have time for that. Right. Um, I had stuff to do. So um, that was the jarring moment as I reflected back on that a day or two later. I thought, oh, my goodness. Um, but that, it, it, that was the jarring moment that, but there was so much more at that time that that brought my attention to. And how old is your son now? He is now 20 years old. Big oh, boy. So Big that was a boy. while ago then. <laughs> that was a while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a long time ago now. <laughs> yeah. About a third of my life away. Yeah. Yeah. And so what did you do? You, you set out to move away from that corporate job at that time then? Um, it, it was not quite that binary. Um, I realized I was missing stuff. Uh, so one of the first things I did, I, I, I actually, around that time I was starting to listen to a lot of classical music. Um, and, uh, I listened to a course by the great the great courses, the teaching company, which they do wonderful uh, audio courses. Um, they were still fairly new at the time, so it was fairly uh, new stuff to me. Um, and in that course, apart from being exposed to some great uh, classical music, old um, polyphonic medieval masses and so forth, uh, I realized that, for example, Bach had composed every one of his pieces, even his practice pieces, he'd inscribed on the front page, vacation to Jesus Christ. And so I realized through the music I was hearing over the centuries in these polyphonic masses and these uh, religiously inspired pieces of music, uh, people talking to me, just this, the power of people's faith. Um, that somehow rather deeply affected me. I read a wonderful book by Houston Smith called The World's Great Religions. Uh, Houston Smith is both an academic and a practitioner of many faiths. Uh, and he had two things in his book, both of which were very meaningful for me. The first, as an academic, each section had a rather nice bibliography so I could continue being an academic and just read voraciously. Uh, but he also pointed out that in each of those great faith traditions, and he reviewed Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, so forth, there was a contemplative tradition. So all of this by a long way points to I started meditating. Um, which was a very difficult thing for me to start with. It was, it felt like painting a pentagram in blood on the floor. It was very weird. But when I did that for the first time, I found it um, very powerful and it stuck. Right. And so how long did you meditate at the beginning? Oh, not very long at all. Uh, the first time it was maybe 
10 or 15 minutes and it was a body scan lying on my couch. It was a body scan, which, um, you know, that's just the way I started. And then it was, mm-hmm. uh, an intermittent practice and, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe, um, but, you know, it's like a, I tell people when the people tell me they want to uh, do something in their life, they want to change something, start meditating, take up a diet, whatever it is. If you try and do something too much, something else has to give and it won't. <laughs> so right. your new habit is the one that gives. So you've got to be patient. You got to, I was, again, I didn't know it at the time, but I, I started it the right way. Just a little bit at a time, just a little bit at a time. And how did your meditation evolve and what does it look like now? Meditation is a funny thing uh, in lots of ways. And in one particular way, it's really hard to see what's going on when you're inside it. Um, So a lot of the time, the people who notice the changes of meditation practice are those around you. So I know that there was a lot going on that wasn't visible to me. Um, But it it felt like it was doing me good. It felt like I was becoming more mindful and more aware of what was going on and a lot of my bad habits, uh, drinking way too much and not paying attention to family and those kind of things were... Um, coming more into focus and coming more under control. Um, After a couple of years, I realized I needed a group of people to do this with, both because I was experiencing, um, that sounds too grandiose. There were, um, I needed to be able to talk about this with people because like any hobby or habit, there are just funny things that you want to make sure you're not the only one having these strange things happen. Um, and I also felt I needed a, a com- so I needed a community to do this with, and I needed somebody who knew more about it. So I started looking around, and I ended up uh, joining a Zen Buddhist group. Uh, so I became, I spent spent a lot of time with that group over the years. Um, and what is it now? Um, it's a much more esoteric, eclectic practice. I get up every morning. I spend an hour reading and an hour meditating, and. I will, you know, try and meditate most evenings. I'm not doing as good a job of that. Um, I've got a group that I sit with regularly and occasional retreats and so forth. Um, and to the theme of this show, Bruce, it really, uh, over time, uh, in ways uh, that are subconscious, that, you know, you don't really see it happening. You see it after the fact. It does just make you more aware uh, that mindfulness over time uh, changes the way um, changes the way I am. It just makes me more aware. And if I, uh, I'm, I'm less prone to snap to judgment. It's not to say I don't do it. I'm less prone to, uh, say words in anger again, not to say I don't do them, but it just makes you more reflective and more aware and generally better at catching those things before they arise. So do you consider yourself a Buddhist then? Uh, there's a wonderful Buddhist saying, which is, uh, see the Buddha, kill the Buddha. Mm. which means, um, you know, the, the deep practitioner transcends that label. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I spend a lot of time hanging around Buddhist groups and, uh, in the interfaith work I'm involved in, I generally advertise myself as a Buddhist, but the books that I'm reading in the mornings I mentioned, uh, those are mostly Advaita Hinduist, Hindu books, um, okay. uh, which really resonate, um, I spend a lot of time, there's a, a fairly uh, um, contemplative uh, Muslim group I spend time with most Friday evenings. So I spend time in a, a lot of different practices. But I, I guess if, if push comes to shove, I'd probably call myself a Buddhist. Right, right. And did you have 
a lot of limiting beliefs back in those days that you had to try to shake and, and change? The most important of those was that I'm important. Uh-huh. Yeah, you mentioned <laughs> yeah. that already, that you're too important to bother with your Absolutely. two-year-old, you know? Absolutely. The ego is the, you know, it's all this thing I call me. Yes. That it actually matters, right? So, yeah, I had a ton of them. I had a ton of them. And not, um, most of them weren't faith-oriented beliefs, and a lot of them were, uh, you know, disbeliefs that, uh, you know, faith is nonsense, it's all science, and the spiritual side is BS, and it's all logic and analysis, and yeah, so, so yes is the answer. Um, and to say I had to shake them, they're kind of hard things to intentionally shake, um, and to approach it by saying I'm going to shake these beliefs um, probably isn't going to be successful for a lot of people. I don't think it would have been successful for me. Um, I recognized that something was wrong with my life. And so I started down a path of examining that. And as I examined my life, and not intentionally, it just came under the lens as I started down this spiritual practice. Um, just these, the beliefs started becoming clearer. I started seeing where there was judgment, where there was opinion, where there was ego. Once you shine a really bright light on it, it's like the trolls in The Hobbit. You know, they kind of turn to stone and flake off. Right. And so did you change in time to have what you considered a close relationship with your son and with your family as he was growing up? That was 18 years ago. I believe I have now changed to where mm -hmm. that is possible. Uh, along the way was very, very difficult because I was deep in that morass of uh, corporate think of, you know, traveling all the time and working too hard, drinking too much and just being caught in that world. It took me a long time to dig myself out or it took a long time to be dug out. Um, along the way, uh, my relationship with my now ex-wife was too badly damaged for um, that to be repaired. So we're now divorced. And that was obviously very traumatic, and that was my initiative, and that was obviously very traumatic for everybody. Uh, but coming out of the other side of that, uh, which was five or six years ago now, um, yes, it has allowed me to move into a place where I am much, much more available for the people I love and the people who love me. And out of that availability, um, my relationships uh, with my kids, I find them deeply rewarding and uh, you know, so much more so than they ever were before or ever could have been. In what ways do you inspire your son? Have you inspired him with your religious studies and your your Buddhism or your meditation? I wouldn't talk about myself as inspiring anybody, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm a positive influence along the way somewhere, but inspiring people is a very strong, very high bar to consider myself jumping over, so I'm not going to do that one. And so you decided to start a podcast yeah. Tell us about that. Why did you decide to do that? And what's that journey been like? It's been a great journey. Um, so that goes back about 10 years, probably. I was uh, still in the corporate world. So I'd stayed in the corporate world for quite a while while I was going through this uh, journey. For the most most of the time in my last few years in the corporate world, when I went out for lunch, when I was in the office, I'd go out for lunch with people and it would be a small group of people and they'd be people like me, you know, overeducated, white, middle class men mostly. And we talk about innocuous stuff like baseball and basketball because it was easy and safe. Mm -hmm. um, 
in my last year there, and I didn't do this intentionally, it's just what naturally happened. I found myself just finding individuals who I thought were interesting and I'd like to get to know better. So I started going out for lunch one-on-one with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd open up in kind of the way we were opening up here for a more intimate conversation. And nine times out of ten, they'd respond in kind. You know, every now and again, somebody would kind of hurry up with lunch and then go back to the office with their head down and they'd never talk to me again. But that was the minority view. Um, With hindsight, as I looked back on that experience, I realized that what I was tapping into was that these intimate conversations are what most of us really want to have. Those kind of relationships are much more what we want than the baseball and the basketball. But that in the corporate world, it doesn't feel safe. The environment's not there that will permit that to happen. So people keep their head down. They talk about baseball and basketball and the next deliverable and deadline for their boss and all the rest. And we're unhappy and unfulfilled and we know it. We just don't know what to do about it. Um, I bumped into podcasts in a business context and I grokked how incredibly powerful they are as a marketing tool. So I was looking for a way in my business to latch onto this technology and use it in a marketing way. Um, and I, I just never really wrapped. I, I never got my teeth into that in a way that I actually did it. But after I'd had that in the back of my mind for two or three years, um, and I'd stayed in touch with Todd, who's my co-host, um, who's just a great guy and had been through his own journey. And it just clicked that, you know, why worry about this as a marketing and a business tool? This is just a great way of having conversations with real people and getting real. And this new business mindset, which is the uh, title of the podcast you mentioned, um, is really what we're talking about on this show, Bruce. It's um, it's being more mindful, more aware, more intentional, and basing business on real relationships and on things that matter rather than sliding the mighty dollar around. What are some of the questions you ask on your show, which you would say really help the, the guest kind of become more... Uh, well, be vulnerable and to reach in there and, and get into a real deep conversation. Um, I don't frame it actually around uh, particular questions. I generally talk with folks. I pretty much always talk with folks a little bit ahead of time. So we get to know each other a little bit right. and um, get to know somebody well enough to know the places that would be interesting to explore. Uh, so I, they're very informal conversations, much like this one. Um, and I'm just probing gently around the edges of, uh, life changes of those moments of transition where you, as you did with me, you leave the corporate world and you move into an independent world. And what was really going on there? Um, you start on a new adventure and what's, what's really driving that? There's a passion behind here. What is that passion? So trying to tap into the energy that takes somebody through those transitions, the thinking and the process that takes them through the transitions, and how they're tuning into passion and curiosity and vulnerability and those kind of things, and doing so in a very soft and informal way. Right, right. We haven't talked about exercise and body image and that kind of thing. Is exercise a regular part of your life, Gareth? Um, in an accidental way, uh, yes. I... Uh, for several years, I tried running on and off, and it's like every two or three months, I'd pull a hamstring and it would lay me up. Mm-hmm. So it's just not the way I do it. Um, 
I, right now we've uh, been planting vegetables and trees and we're in a house we've been in for a better part of a year now. So I go out there regularly and spend an hour digging holes. So I, I like doing work. Uh, exercise for exercise sake is not something that I find particularly interesting. So yeah, I exercise, but it's in that way. So do you have a morning routine besides what you already talked about? You said you read, you said you meditate. Um, my morning, I typically get up somewhere between four and five. I read uh, for an hour or maybe a little more than an hour. Um, and I'm reading the, typically these Advaita books and there will be other spiritual books come in there from time to time. Uh, meditate for an hour uh, and then Beth and I will sit down and we'll have a cup of tea, cup of coffee and have breakfast and that's generally another hour. And by then we're getting around to eight o'clock or thereabouts, which is about when, you know, I'll sit down at my desk and check emails and start moving into the day. And you've, you've written a couple of books or maybe more than that, I know. Tell me about the process, how you, ah, you made the decision yeah. to decide and then you actually made it happen because so many people want to write a book, yeah. but man, it can be tough. Yeah, you know, the, the trick to writing a book is to write it. <laughs> it sounds kind of trite, but it really is. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, I've written uh, two novels. Uh, the first one, when I finished it, I thought this is the next great American novel and so forth. But um, those were years ago. And then I wrote a couple which were more uh, oriented around my spiritual journey. So one was a, a Buddhist spending time in Islam and the other a Buddhist spending time in Judaism. Um, the novel writing piece of it is probably more interesting to the question you're framing, Bruce. One day I just, I'd sat and I got up and I just had all these thoughts in my head, just years of pent up thoughts that have been blocked. So I just, blah, just spewed all these out on the page. And this went on for several weeks. And, um, so that first flood was out of the system and then uh, characters just started showing up and started living in my head and I decided I'd just give them life so for about a year my routine was I would uh, meditate for an hour in the morning and then I would sit at my desk and I'd spend an hour writing and then I'd get up and get on with the day mm -hmm. and then I'd go to bed and I'd get up the following morning and I'd meditate for an hour and I'd sit at my desk and I'd write for an hour right um, most of the time when I sat down to write, uh, things had moved forward in my subconscious to the point where the next installment of the story was ready to take off. Um, so it was really just a very natural flow. Uh, when that wasn't the case, I'd sit and write anyway. Sometimes I'd just make myself write. Most of the time I'd go back and edit what I'd written before or, you know, play around with it in some kind of way like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but truthfully, the single most important thing to finish in a book is to sit down every day and write. It's as simple as that. Right. And it, it does really sound simple. Now, in the intro, I mentioned that you've discovered a new way to be with people. So maybe that new way is something that you practice with Beth or with other people. Can you elaborate on that? Um. I would reframe that. I don't know that I, I've discovered anything new. I found something that's new for me, maybe. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's so, really that's I really what that's I what meant. you mean. I think. Yeah. yeah. But uh, um, yeah, I guess uh, the key point here, and uh, that is to be there with that person and available to that person, rather than be there 
assuming that person's available for you. So there are lots of different ways of describing that. And one of them is spend a lot more time listening than talking, spend right. a lot more time asking questions and being curious than the other way around. Um, that's, that's really what it's about. Um, and over the years, uh, as, as I've been progressing down this path, I also uh, started uh, taking having a fair amount of therapy. We had couples therapy and then I moved into my own therapist. Um, and one of the core messages out of that work, which I can absolutely testify is true from personal experience, is um, if you if you want anybody to be interested in you, you've got to start by being interested in them. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, the, you know, you look at it in the context of couples therapy, you are doing it for selfish reasons. You want your needs to be met. But before the other person's going to even notice what those needs are or care about them, you've got to start paying attention to that person's unmet needs first. And it just becomes that natural flow in that relationship. Uh, but it is a much broader uh, point and it comes into all relationships. So that's really the core place. Yeah, for sure. There's there's a lot of talk these days, Gareth, about the power of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. Do you, when you're talking with somebody or spending time with someone else, do you deliberately plan to be vulnerable? Does it just come out of you? How do you approach this? Um, it's one of those muscles that uh, it becomes very natural once you start exercising it. Um, other ones that I'll point to, uh, when I was uh, in, in the days shortly before I left Holly, uh, I didn't realize this is what I was doing, but I was accumulating all my stuff in my office. So I had these piles of books that were books I was never going to read, and I did not know what to do with them. And eventually I just decided uh, that I needed to give some of them away. And it was really, really hard. I got like half a dozen books and I took them down to Goodwill and I gave them away and went home and I just felt lighter. So the following day I took a dozen and then six feet and it just, it's that giving things away um, is, a, is a muscle that once you start exercising it, it becomes easier and more natural. Compassion is another one. You know, some people who uh, – find they lack meaning or purpose in life. Um, if they start volunteering, you know, once a month go down the food bank or go to a shelter and just volunteer for a couple of hours, um, that becomes a really rewarding practice and something that then just becomes much, much easier. And I would put vulnerability on that same list. It's something that the first time you do it, it be, it's just really, really hard, but it becomes just much easier as you practice it. So, no, it's, it's not something that is a um, – an intentional thing for me to do is become just something I naturally find myself doing. And what about gratitude? Is that something that mm. you you have in your life? It absolutely is. Um, and again, that is something um, culturally uh, we have moved ourselves to a place where it's a very egocentric um, culture where we, you know, we take pride in our own accomplishments and I did this and I did that and I'm really smart and I went to school and I got educated and I deserve this and I've accomplished this. Um, and it's, it's a mind shift that, again, it's a difficult one to start with if that's where we are. Uh, but there are intentional gratitude practices that we can 
undertake. And if you just start doing that just a little bit a day, it starts to become really rewarding and becomes a much more natural thing. Yeah. As we as we wrap up our conversation, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So oh, just yeah, yeah. 30 second answers are, are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness in your life? Goodness. Um, Nisargadatta is the Hindu teacher I read most. Uh, he died uh, about a little over 20 years ago. So in a sense, my teacher is dead. But he's still, he's, uh, his writings, they're dialogues and they're amazing. They live on, yes. How has emotion been affected by your mindfulness, your own emotion? I used to be scared of my emotions and now I embrace them. Uh, my emotions used to be overwhelming and now um, they're, they're really, really important and an important part of who I am and I, I cherish them. Um, and it's the, it's a very uh, unless you kind of move through this process and experience it, it's kind of counterintuitive, because I am my emotions are much deeper and much richer, and I'm much more sensitive to them, and yet I am much deeper and much stronger and much more able to hold those, and hold them healthfully. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Breathing is an enormously powerful practice. There's a, uh, and I have, I, I do this from time to time. If there's a, a stressful moment, if you intentionally drop your breath to the, to the belly and intentionally breathe from the belly, it slows and stabilizes everything. Um, paying attention to breathing, uh, it, it, it just slows things down and brings peace. And what book would you recommend to our listeners, which is somehow related to the practice of mindfulness? I'm afraid I'm going to go back to Nisargadatta again. Yeah. Uh, there's a book, um, Pointers from Nisargadatta, uh, which was written by one of his students, um, which is my favorite. Uh, the one that is generally suggested is another book by, Nisar by Nisargadatta himself. It's a set of his dialogues called I Am That. Uh, I'll put that in our show notes, listeners, so that you can you can check that out. Do you use any apps at all in order to stay mindful? No. The only thing I do, I have a meditation timer, which many of you listeners probably have. It's very popular called Insight. Um, and that just when I sit down to meditate, I start the clock and it stops. Um, I would uh, – the best calls to mindfulness though – I would suggest aren't apps, and this is the um, Thich Nhat Hanh. I mean, if you're looking for other books, anything by Thich Nhat Hanh is wonderful. Yes, yes. Um, he talks uh, about using car horns or the telephone, just everyday sounds. Right. So you can you can pick everyday sounds, and uh, when this everyday, I mean, it could be the ding of an email landing in your inbox. Uh, just stop what you're doing, take a couple of breaths, and then carry on. Were you ever bullied either in your youth or as an adult in business where mm. you feel now as though mindfulness would have really truly helped you get through that? Um, the answer is yes. And I'm trying to think. I have absolutely been bullied. I, was, uh, I um, put myself rather foolishly, not foolishly, out of ignorance as a fairly mature adult in a couple of places where I was bullied without recognizing it at the time. Um, 
and yes, as a child, uh, nowhere near as much as some kids, but some. Um, and I would tell you, mindfulness would not just help me get through it. Uh, mindfulness would have allowed me to see more clearly what was happening. Uh, so in those situations as an adult, uh, I would have been much more aware of the dynamic in a couple of relationships, and I wouldn't have stayed in those relationships. I would have just moved on much more quickly. Um, and as a child, um, it, it's not just it would have allowed me to deal with them better or to survive them better. Um, I would have responded to the behavior in different ways that would have been much more healthy for all concerned. Right. Yeah. I think that mindfulness is incredibly powerful for dealing with some of these situations that can be a true conflict. Yeah, it really How is. How can Mindful Tribe connect with you? And of course, I know we can listen to your fantastic podcast called A New Business Mindset, but how else can we connect with you? Um, I, I point you to the place where the, the podcast exists. I've got a website. Just Google Gareth Young and you'll find all my social media and my website and so forth. And you can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, and there's... Uh, various ways to email email me on all those sites and feel free to please feel free to do so i really these kind of conversations are frankly the only conversations worth having bruce so if anybody would like to engage in this kind of conversation i'd be delighted uh, to have it with someone well gareth i'm delighted that you've had time to be on the show today that we could sit down and chat it's been really great i want to thank you once again for being on the show so have a great rest of your day gareth you too, Bruce, and thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you. Bye now. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>